Well, we are indeed in countdown mode to 2020. A new year is peaking over the horizon at you. And I want us to spend some time in Psalm 90 today in preparation for this coming year. Now, this psalm is a prayer. It's someone else's prayer. It's Moses' prayer, as you can probably see from the screen behind me. Uh, But I very much believe it is God's prayer for you. He is calling you and I to pray this prayer because he wants to answer it. He wants to answer it. And to this end, I've got a few uh, bookmarks here. I have no idea how many are here today, but I probably didn't print enough. Um, But I'm going to give these out. These have our main points on them, and I hope they will be helpful. Um, Little bonus, if you sat near the front, you are more likely to get them. Uh, But take one pass As those are going around, let's read Psalm 90 together. Psalm 90. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us, establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is God's word to us. And Moses ends this prayer of his with five requests, five appeals to God. And I've got these on the back of the bookmarks I just handed out. And I want to get to those and spend our time there. But important to understanding this psalm, this prayer, is not just what Moses asks God for, these five requests, but what making these five requests means for us. Now, that's a bit of a wordy sentence I just said. Um, But this prayer is not just what Moses asked God's 
for, it is that, but it's also what these things mean for us. It means, are we ready to receive these things? If we ask for them, are we ready to receive them? If we ask God to teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom, the first request, then we need to be ready to be taught to learn to live something new, to change our values and priorities, to show God's wisdom, God's right living in our lives. So it's a lot more than just a request. It is a request. But are we ready to do our part? If we don't have this mindset, this understanding when we ask God for something, then it's a bit like asking God to help us. Actually, we're not really looking for that help. That would be like asking the Holy Spirit to help us and then the Holy Spirit speaking into our lives and us just blowing the Holy Spirit off, just ignoring the Holy Spirit. And that's actually a really dangerous place to be. All of this to say, let's make sure that we are prepared for God to answer these requests because this prayer is given to us, not just for Moses to pray, but it's given to us for us to pray. This is God's word to you and I. God has given you this prayer for you to pray. And I hope this would make us excited about it. You know, we have the Lord's Prayer, and rightly so, we esteem that prayer. Uh, Jesus gave it to us. Well, here is a prayer of Moses. I'm not saying he's Jesus but he's not too far, you know, down down the rung, so to speak. And this should be exciting because God wants us to pray this. Well, let's get into it. And Moses starts his prayer, quite rightly, with God. Yay, what a great place to start your prayer. He starts with a reflection, a reminder about who he is praying to. And three things stand out here. Firstly, Moses starts by stating that God has been our dwelling place. This prayer of Moses is is a prayer for the community of faith. It is a prayer for all believers throughout all generations. And that would include you and I. God is our dwelling place just as he was Moses' dwelling place. Just as he was King David's dwelling place. Just as he was Solomon's dwelling place. And I could go on and on and on. But we need to remember this. We, you, me are not the first ones to relate to God. There is a whole history of relating to God to draw on. When you and I come to God, we are not traveling an unmarked path. When you come to God, it's not an unmarked path. You're not finding your way there through the mist. Actually, others have already been there. It might be the first time we're going there, but it is a well-trodden path. Many Christians have gone before you. And we should let them help us. We should let them teach us and guide us, not because they are perfect, but because they can show us the way. Uh, Secondly, Moses' start here reminds us that God is not distant or uncaring, but he is the one who cares for us. Some translations have the first verse here as, Lord, you have been our refuge throughout all generations. God 
is our dwelling place. He is our refuge. He is the one who protects us. He is our place of safety and security in this world. But do we come to God like this? Do we, do we understand this about him? Do we talk to him with that amount of certainty the way Moses does? Do we know for sure that he is our dwelling place as well? He's not just Moses' dwelling place, he is your dwelling place as well. And thirdly, these two verses call our attention to the fact that God is our eternal dwelling place, our mighty dwelling place. There's no other place of safety or security that can compare to him. And so compared to God, the mountains are temporary. Temporary. Compared to him, this world is passing away. It is coming and going. Compared to him, everything is shifting and unstable because he and he alone is from everlasting to everlasting. And that's why he makes such a great dwelling place, isn't it? Now, with these three things in mind, is there anywhere, anyone else, anywhere else we should look for security in this world? Well, there's not. I mean, we do, but there's not. No one compares to him. He is above all and beyond all, and yet he is also close to us. He is our dwelling place. He's where we get to dwell. He's where we get to live. And from God, Moses turns to us, to to people, to you and I. Compared to God, uh, we are temporary. We're transitory. We're fleeting. And Moses compares us to new grass that, that bursts to life and then withers away. And I think we can understand this in Central Hawke's Bay, can't we? Yes, we can. A shower of rain might um, give new life, might, might give greenness to a paddock uh, quickly, but it can also disappear just as quickly. A northerly wind can turn up and suck the life out of it until it's as brown as the dirt it is in. And that's all very uh, sort of sad, isn't it? But Moses' point is that our lives are like this when compared to God. Our lives are so short, so incredibly short when compared to God. We celebrate, and, and rightly so, someone making it to to 80 or 90, perhaps even 100. But as Moses points out, a thousand years are as a passing day to God. Our lives are so, so very short. And there's a question here, do we understand this about our lives compared to God? Moses is not trying to make you or I feel insignificant, but he is absolutely trying to get us to grasp how eternally significant God is compared to you and I. And it's when we know this, when we grasp our smallness and frailty, that we can come to appreciate God's greatness, his bigness. He's so, so much bigger than us. So incredibly big. But Moses isn't done with the bad news quite yet. Sorry, he's not. Moses gets more specific about why we are small and frail, while why we return to the dust from which we were taken. And the answer is our sin. 
Moses says in verse 8, You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Nothing is hidden from our just God. And yes, we feel the effects of our sin and the effects of other people's sin. We feel the effects of living in a sin-damaged world. But Moses knows this point that he is making here. This is a man who led God's people out of slavery in Egypt, only to have that whole generation, think about this, whole generation of the people he knew die in the wilderness because of their rebellion and grumbling against God. Could you imagine if that happened, if you'd seen this happen? All of the people you know die off until a new generation comes up. These people had experienced God's rescue. They knew God cared about them. He had rescued them from slavery in Egypt. But then these same people had gone and made idols for themselves. They'd made a golden calf of all things. They grumbled against God and actually wanted to go back to Egypt at one stage rather than having God provide for them. And so when Moses says in verse 7 and 11, we are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. He's not just saying empty words. These are not just poetic words here for Moses. He knows this because he's seen it. These are words of experience. And the scary thing is, it can happen to us as well. We can hear the gospel, the good news of God to us in Jesus. We can know his rescue and mercy to us in Jesus, but we can also forget and ignore him and think that he doesn't see and doesn't care. We can turn to other gods. We can grumble and moan against him and start to think that life with him is worse than life with sin. We can interpret the temporary inaction of God as indifference, but as Moses tells us, God's anger, God's wrath at sin, at injustice is real, and he will collect. Paul speaks of this reality in Romans 12, reminding us, reminding Christians, Paul was speaking to Christians, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. These words of God should cause us to pause in our decisions. We must seek justice in this world, but we know that full justice will be done only by God. We don't have to collect it now because we know with certainty absolute certainty that while God's justice is delayed, and it is, that's accurate. God is delaying his justice. It's coming, but he will not miss a thing. Not one single thing. He'll collect. And this this should make us pause, shouldn't it? Should make us pause to think about our own decisions, our own actions. I don't know if it does. <laughs> Makes me pause. 
Let me ask you, do you feel anger and injustice towards you or towards others? Do you feel anger about that? Yeah, some of you are nodding. You should all be nodding, by the way. You should feel anger about that. You should. That's something you should get angry about. But I want you to recognize that you know but a taste, the smallest taste of what God feels then. He is, no, he is not indifferent towards sin. He is not indifferent towards injustice. He takes it seriously. He gets angry about it. And that should cause us to think about our actions, but it should cause us to think about this world as well. Let me give you some good news. That's the bad news of this prayer done. It is. And it is with this understanding, this perspective, that Moses Moses now turns and makes five requests for himself and for us. And these requests are good things for us to, to ask God for as we enter a new year. Perhaps one of them will stick out to you. Perhaps all of them will. But all of them are important for us to live rightly and joyfully with our maker. And that is my prayer for you this coming year. That you will live rightly and joyfully with your maker. So verse 12, Moses says, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. When it had countdown out there, that wasn't referencing the supermarket, the little sign out the front. Uh, That was referencing this, that we would number our days. The Bible says throughout it that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and this first request is for just that. It flows from the perspective that Moses has shared with us thus far, that if we know who God is, that he is both the eternal God and the God of all justice, that we would live lives that reflect this fact, that we would live lives that show that we know who he is. And what I find really encouraging about this is that this is Moses asking God for help to do this. Moses is asking God for help to do this. He prays in this prayer that God would help him do this. This is Moses who knew more about God and his character than most of us, than the vast majority of people. Moses is the guy who got to go up to the mountain to meet with God when everyone else had to stay down the bottom. And yet here he is asking, praying for God's help to do this. I think God wants us to pray this prayer as well. And I believe that Because God wants to grant us this. God wants us to live rightly. He wants to to teach us this. He wants us to learn it, which is encouraging. It's encouraging to me, at least. God wants this for his people. So if we pray this, if we ask God for this, what should we expect? If you pray this, God, teach me to number my days that I may gain a heart of wisdom. What is that going to look like for you? What should you expect God to do? Well, I believe you should expect God to impress upon you an awareness of the shortness of your days. 
I believe you should expect that. Because that should lead to a consciousness of his immediate call upon your life. Let me say that again. You should expect God to impress upon you an awareness of the shortness of your days, which leads to a consciousness of his immediate call upon your life. God demands that we follow him today, this day, not another day, this one. Both Jesus and his half-brother James remind us of this. It is not enough to be hearers of the word of God. We have to be doers of it as well. We need to build our lives on it, as Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And this starts with us being aware that God has given us this day, today, to live for him. He has not promised another day. This is the day he gives us. Maybe we'll get tomorrow, but we are called to follow him and to serve him today. One practical way I think you and I can do this is by committing each day to God, to actually numbering it as a gift from God. And yes, that practically means starting the day going, this is the day the Lord has made. Recognizing it as a gift from him. Recognizing it, not to be morbid, but it might be your last. So how how are you going to live in it for him? Does that make sense? Fantastic. Request two, relent, Lord. How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. This request is a call for God's mercy and God's rescue. And absolutely, this is a reality in our lives as Christians. Someone once described the Christian life as the life of repentance. And that's a really good description because it hits upon the reality that for you and I as Christians, as people of faith in God, uh, we still sin. The question is, will we look to God? Will we still grieve over our sin and repent? Will we seek his compassion? Because some people don't. I've seen people living in remorse over their sin, but not living in repentance over it. Those two are really different. Remorse is quite different from repentance. We all hate the consequences of our sin, whether it was our sin or someone else's, but will we look to God for his help and rescue? Will we actually repent of it and say sorry for it and turn from it? That is something else. Will we trust that Jesus is sufficient for us? And as Christians, uh, we should be praying this in our lives. We should. Are we showing in our day-to-day lives that we trust in God's character, that whatever we might have done and however long it might be taking, that we expect God to have compassion on us, that I can look to him today I can look to him tomorrow, and I can look to him the next day as well. We expect that the one who gave his son is for us and is not against us. Again, God gave us this prayer for a reason. We're meant to pray it. Thirdly, Moses asks God to satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. 
Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. And this request for satisfaction and joy follows from Moses' request for compassion. It looks to God's unchanging character that while he is just and he gets angry at sin, those are true, God is also unfailingly, unfailingly loving and merciful. And this unfailing love is our source of joy and gladness. And we need this joy in life. We, we all need this joy in life. And while we can find, try and find joy in many things, the only lasting joy for our lives is found in God. It is a joy based upon His character, His merciful love, which will completely satisfy us and sustain us in our days. Alexander McLaren said, the only thing that will secure lifelong gladness is a heart satisfied with the experience of God's love. And that is something we have. In fact, this is actually something you and I probably know better than Moses. Sort of a remarkable statement to say, here is this guy who got to go up to the mountain to meet God who knew God unlike all of the rest of the Israelites, and yet you and I actually know this better than Moses, because while he got to go up a mountain, we are the people who know that Jesus came down for us. Came down for us. God stepped down for you. We know his unfailing love. We know his compassion for us. And this should give us a joy, a solid joy, a foundational joy to our lives. Yes, we are tempted to look elsewhere and find our own joys, either in ourselves or in this world. But we know Jesus. We do. And we should recognize that all those other joys they will pass. They will not satisfy. Jesus is the solid joy. He is the well for our lives, the one to give us satisfaction and rest in this world. And we are, we are meant to pray this prayer. I'm going to say it again and again. We are meant to say to God, satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love. We are meant to say that to God, but when we say that, what does that mean? Do we just do nothing? No, I think he's given us his unfailing love to look at, to remember, to take hold of. But will we do that? Do we want that joy that much that we will pursue it? The fourth request that Moses makes. May your deeds be shown to your servants your splendor to their children. Now Moses has seen a lot of God, far more than most, as I said earlier, but he still wanted to know God more. He still wanted to see more, to experience more, to know God more. And he didn't just want this knowledge, this experience for himself, he wanted it for his children as well. Who has children that they would like to know God's greatness, God's splendor, God's salvation. Who has children they'd like to know that? 
Yeah, me too. I've got two of the skellywags and I pray for them and Elias, he winds me up so much that when I see I'm going to pray and he's like, no, don't pray for me. <laughs> I don't know quite what Moses' relationship with his children were like. But Psalm 90 gives me hope that I can persevere in this endeavor and that I'm going to keep on praying for Elias and Audrey, and I'm going to keep trying to show them God, but I'm going to be asking God to do it as well. And if this prayer is given to us to pray, to hold on to, to give back to God, then I'm going to trust that he's going to front up and do it as well. Yes, yes, we have a role to play. We've got, we've got to speak, we've got to show, we've got to call. But at some stage, I've got to say to my kids, it's him. It's not me. It's him you need to know. He's the one who rescued me. Go to him. I can tell you about him. I can point you to him. But you've still got to go to him. And that's what we're praying here, aren't we? God, please. I want to know more. Please show my kids too. Please show my kids too. And lastly, verse 17, may the favor of the Lord our God rest on us, establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. While our lives in this world are short, and isn't it true that older you get, the shorter they seem? It is, isn't it? While our lives in this world are short, we should seek to work to produce things that will last. And I think this is encouraging. This means whatever we do in this world, whether it's building a business or building a family, we are seeking God's blessing upon both that they can be, they should be part of God's kingdom, a kingdom that will outlast us and indeed outlast the mountains in this world. So as temporary as we are, I'm going to be gone in a breath the work of my hands, the work of your hands can last. Isn't that exciting? And I've been trying to drive home this morning that this prayer should encourage us that God, I mean, God gave it to us. God wants us to pray it because he wants to answer it. So I wonder what work God has given you that he desires to bless, to favor, and to establish. You know, Jesus in Matthew 25 spoke of this when he, he told the parable of the talents. And in that parable, three servants were given resources according to their ability. And they were left to use them. And when their master returned, they were not judged by the quantity they produced but they were judged by how faithful they were with what they had. Their master returned and looked upon all that they had done in his absence. A two had worked conscious of their master's goodness, and that is what they received, their master's goodness. 
Their master welcomed them with the words, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Wonderful words, aren't they? Those are words which show that our work here matters, whatever God has put into our hands. He's put something in our hands. What are we going to do with it? We should pray that he establishes it and that it lasts. It lasts for his glory. I pray that as this year closes and a new one starts, that you will know you are not alone. I'm guessing there is a lot of unknown before you. Questions about 2020. Maybe you've got a plan. Let me give you a little hint as someone who's reflected on 2019. You have your plan. Just hold on to it loosely. There is a path for you to take. It is a path well trod by others, a path for you to follow, a path that calls you to a life of wisdom before God, a path filled with God's compassion, God's unfailing love and God's solid joy, a path of knowledge of your Savior and his splendor, a path of work that will last Sounds a pretty good path, doesn't it? And now we've got to go do it. But we don't do it alone. And we do it with God's encouragement that he is for us in this path and in our lives. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I give thanks that you gave us Moses, uh, this man who got to journey with you and with your people and he had an experience of working with you, of, of walking with you. And he knew his sin, he knew his own frailty, despite some pretty incredible things that he did. He knew his smallness, but he saw your greatness. He saw the one who his faith was truly in how great and good you are and he trusted in you and he held on to you and he lived for you and he taught, he taught your people to do likewise. He called them and he is calling us today to this life to put our trust in you, that you are indeed from everlasting to everlasting, that the mountains, the mountains we know so well will pass away and be dust and yet you will remain. This is how great and good you are. And you are faithful to us. You care about us. You are our dwelling place and our refuge. And Lord, as we look back on this previous year, we look back on the highs and lows, and you have been there throughout it all calling us to yourself because you, you are our dwelling place. You are our refuge. And Heavenly Father, as we go into 2020, so many questions. Yet you are our dwelling place. You are our refuge. And you call us, you call us to a life with you, a life of wisdom. 
Help us to do that. Help us to be ready to do that. Help us to look for your guidance. We have your spirit. And we have it for a reason. So teach us your ways. Help us to say yes to you and no to this world. Help us to say yes to righteousness and no to sin and to pursue you with our lives. And where we stuff up, where we sin, may we throw ourselves again upon your compassion, upon your mercy, which we know, we know in Jesus your Son. And as we do that, may we know that we are secure. It's not a question of if, but you will have compassion on us. You will have mercy upon us. And we can trust always, always in your unfailing love and goodness to us. And we pray that this coming year that we will see more of you, more of your goodness, more of your greatness, more of your splendor, and not just for ourselves, but yes, for our children, for our families, for our neighbors, and for this world. And yes, Lord, we ask for your blessing. Your blessing upon our work, upon our hands, all that we put them to, all that we put our hearts and minds to. That as we seek you, as we seek your kingdom in these places and in these things, oh Lord, that you would bless them. You would bless them that they would be greater than us. That after we are gone and after we are a distant memory, that our work might remain for your glory. We pray that we would go into this world and into this year with the absolute confidence, the absolute certainty that we are not alone. We have a dwelling place. And we have it all because of your son. I pray this in his name, the name above every name. Amen.